Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. That's the circle of life. I'm willing to die to keep the circle of life going for the mm -hmm. rest of humanity. I'm going to be one of those people, like, no coffin. I want to de decompose into the earth so it's good soil. You know what I mean? Like, I really want it to be good soil. <laughs> <laughs> I want the soil to be enriched by my yeah, the dead meats. Yeah. Hey, maybe you want it to be good soil. I actually want to teach doctors and medical professionals, so I'm donating my body science. You think it's about bugs? I actually think it's about nurses and uh, first responders, you know? I think those are actually the real heroes, not bugs and dirt. <laughs> Well, we need both, so it's perfect. You give it to the labs, I give myself to the earth, and everyone has a good amount of body to play with, you know? JT, what are you doing with your body? Uh, uh, launching it into space. Perfect. Yeah. The cosmic realm. Exactly. Body, you know? <laughs> earth, science, and the cosmic realm. Those are kind of the three tenets of extended clip. <laughs> It's kind of the last three Christopher Nolan movies, too. Yeah. I, I If you skip Dunkirk, I was just thinking Interstellar, Tenet, and Oppenheimer. I'm just putting connections yeah, here together. Yeah, you know, do you guys like movies? This is, kind of a, this is kind of a film podcast. You guys like movies? Christopher Nolan. You guys hear of this guy? Yeah. This He's week good. in cinema, Christopher Nolan announced that he has interest in making a horror movie. You guys Doubt hear about it. that? No, I'm not it. online. I don't get oh. clickbait headlines anymore. I have to. My dad tells, calls me, and tells me news. That's how I'm learning things these days. He called and told me about. This is not a particularly fun, jokeable topic, but he talked to me about the Kansas City shooting that happened after mm. the Super Bowl. And I was like, wow, I wouldn't have heard otherwise. Wait, so Twitter was the only way you get any info about the outside world? Um, more or less, yeah. Damn. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'll have a particularly newsworthy Instagram reel, but it's mostly Frenchies, yeah, uh, and other types of dogs at this point, and basketball. I learn basketball news. That is true. Nice. You do learn basketball news through Instagram. Um, if there were to be a nine eleven again, I don't think I would figure that out from Instagram. I would just think, oh, it's another day of. Uh, people hanging out with their cats and uh old basketball clips i would just have to wait for my dad to call me yeah to let me know <laughs> that he's okay 9 11 2 happened are you okay did you fall off the guard tower <laughs> <laughs> if you combine those yeah if that's you go, great my dad died in 9 11 he <laughs> fell off the guard tower <laughs> <laughs> that's like a new level uh, is that like what zoomers were saying on the playground because that's like that's like it's both meta and like post uh postmodern. you're right you do have that crazy zoomer humor about yeah. you <laughs> I, I was on the playground the other day talking to the kids and yeah they were talking about 9-11 and guard towers and hitler and uh ai porn did you, did you guys not hear the guard tower joke the first time as like a kid on the playground no uh, actually no i, 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 no. I guess there was some there were a lot of advanced hate students at my elementary school because i i learned that joke very early on i learned a lot of nazi jokes in like third fourth grade Interesting. I feel like I, I don't know if, I feel like the class I grew up with, there weren't a lot of, I feel like I guess was, I might've been telling the jokes, like not a lot of, I don't remember a lot of schoolyard jokes, I guess. I don't know if I can't remember or, <laughs> or if you just weren't cool enough to be told. Yeah. No, nah, I was You're like, don't tell no, Malcolm, that, don't that's, tell Malcolm that's, but I got a good one for you. <laughs> that's definitely not it. So not that one, but the other ones. Yeah. Um, I remember among those jokes um i remember going to six flags magic mountain for a friend's birthday once and uh we were in line for the the ride riddler's revenge and it was like uh someone made a joke about how the tight enclosed space uh with all the fog shooting out was like a gas chamber and uh i said that they should rename the ride hitler's revenge <laughs> I believe I was 12 years old when I made this joke. 
and uh, my friend's dad my my friend's dad mr schwartz uh gave me a very long talk on the ride home (laughs) about why that was not okay that'd be a fun situation to be like a father and hear a joke like that like i I feel like i would be kind of impressed at first then i'd be like should i say anything like should i let me get away with you need to explain to him why it's right to make those kinds of jokes (laughs) because you're doing sort of a mel brooks taking the kid aside and being like you're doing like look i know you think this is funny but you need to understand why you're doing sort of a mel brooks style reclamation (laughs) whereby in joking about hitler you're also taking away some of his power as well so like it's i know you just want to be tasteless but you're actually a powerful leftist son and that's why this is very funny now drop and give me 30 blazing saddles (laughs) drop and give me five minutes of a cleave on little impression <laughs> I'm only gonna make my teach my son to make woke racist jokes so that he grows up, you know, super intelligent. He knows what's going on. Yeah, it's like if you make a Nazi joke around your kid, you have to show them a documentary about the Holocaust. But then you can show you can make as many Nazi jokes as you want. Mm-hmm. It's you got to pay the price. You got to pay Just the toll. Putting an eight year old in, down in front of Shoah and then being like, "Let him rip. You're fine now. Gotta learn someday." You know this iPad generation. <laughs> I bet there were kids that are just like, oh, eight hours for my kid. Yeah, let me put on Showa. Freaking <laughs> iPad generation. You know, like people like leave their TV on, like when they leave the house for like their dog, so it <laughs> yeah. doesn't get distracted. Just making your your dog watch Showa, and you come back and it's like dejected. You know what I mean? It'd be pretty funny. Worse would be it's scheming. Oh no! <laughs> True, it takes insp- take, took yeah. uh, the wrong message from the documentary. <laughs> you come back and you see it smiling. <laughs> Your dog is just like, all right, all the cats on the block, all the cats on the block. I'm putting a band around their paw, you know. <laughs> smiling because I'm racist and I like I'm watching show and smiling because I'm racist <laughs> just a big devilish grin very you know we we started with the dog but I feel like that's more of a Cheshire cat yeah. kind of thing oh man true yeah cats seem more racist than dogs or just devilish I feel like this isn't even like the animal having racist uh, like racist thoughts in its bones it's like it's just devilish true it's more it's just like oh you killed that many people all right let me let me see what I can do about this with dogs yeah or mice or birds I'm not racist I hate everyone equally it's one of those situations exactly exactly (laughs) welcome to extended clip it's episode 281 I am one of your hosts Eddie Averill I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today is once again another edition of the Extended Clip Executive Decision Series. Uh, That's right. If you know it already, you can go ahead and press that plus 30 button because we are going to get into a spiel. If you donate on patreon.com slash extended clip, $15 a month, you become an executive producer of the show. Think about that. Some of the greatest executive producers of all time. You got Howard Hughes in the RKO days. You got David O. Selznick. Mm-hmm. You got Joel Silver. Harvey Weinstein. You know, the <laughs> list goes on. Yeah. That's where the list ends. Uh, well, yes, the list ends. Uh, depending on... Hey, or does it go on? We've seen the end of Schindler's List. Maybe they create a new country for other producers. <laughs> You're... <laughs> really naughty eddie recently i am wagging my finger at you joining that long line of executive producers this week is nick newman uh nick newman bumped his pledge up to the 15 dollar level joining the executive producer tier with some of the names we mentioned earlier as well as andrew and laura jacovis and many other great producers of our show uh, and so if you didn't know that, that's, that's something about this show. If you donate at $15 a month, you become an executive producer. And what does an executive producer get other than the fame, the glory, the title, the legacy, the perks, the money, the stuff you buy with the money? Oh, wait, no, you give us money. Take those last two things back. 
you get to choose a movie for an episode. You get to basically write an episode of extended clip. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. You get full control of the fully scripted episode. It's like final pass. You know, it's like Seinfeld. They had a writer's room, but Larry and Jerry had to see every script through line by line. This week, Nick Newman has to listen to this podcast line by line before we put it out <laughs> and make sure that he approves of every single word. He actually wrote the first 10 minutes of this podcast. Really good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, uh, I commend him for that. I don't know if I pulled it off as like a different character, you know, but I think I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what did Nick choose for us? But... The 2020 film Slow Machine by Paul Felton and Joe DiNardo. Uh, this is a very independent film from just a few years ago in these good old United States, in the, in the New York region of these good old United States. And when I say a very independent <coughs> film, I say that because you, I generally think that kind of thing when you see the same names pop up in producer, director, cinematographer, yeah. editor, writer, etc. Um, I think this film had... No, this film, the cinematographer was DiNardo, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a low-budget, uh, super grainy 16-millimeter, I don't know, psychodrama. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of Hal Hartley. It reminded me a little bit of the more gonzo side of New York filmmaking. Uh, and I just, I really liked it. It's, it's very stylish. It's very funny. Um, essentially, you have a woman who is uh, an aspiring actress at one point or even a struggling actress. I, I think at this point she's established but struggling and she has a very uh, a, a, a torrid situation that ends up with her in the apartment of a counter-terrorist specialist, uh, secret agent, or not secret, special agent. Uh, so she is like prepping for a role kind of hiding out from some vague trouble this guy is not helping her anxiety about said vague troubles because he is a counter-terrorist agent uh and then we also have a second timeline where it's like weeks later uh that we're cutting back and forth between and this weeks later one starts with her getting out of this insane apartment that's like the first scene of the movie chronologically that we see uh and she ends up in this second apartment of weird new york uh you know scuzzy well, dudes that's, that's where she's hiding out after yeah. she after she gets away from the uh counter-terrorist guy who she uh spoiler alert moiters uh but so basically between these two poles we see her as an actress getting ready for a part and struggling and at one point we see her uh employ the southern accent and we see the uh the, the cop guy like playing along with it and then in the second timeline she's still using that southern accent and we think you know like was she even preparing for a part where she just preparing to run away or something like that you know uh and it's revealed at the end that she does become quite successful as an actress so she was preparing for a part but i i just love the very rushed notion of trying to put this thing together in real time because it's only like 75 minutes and it's cutting back and forth between two timelines with very intense scenes uh and very oblique scenarios and very psychologically damaged characters too uh so i feel like its density and its compact runtime go hand in hand very well and it's a kind of overwhelming experience um did you guys like this yeah i was a big fan and i mean in terms of getting into the weeds with the budget i saw during the credits some kickstarter mentions and i was like okay like let's dig this up i want to see like especially like this was very aspirational in terms of low budget filmmaking because it looks great. Yeah. Uh, it seems very achievable. And at least the Kickstarter goal was like $33,000, which is like insanely low for a movie mm -hmm. shot on film. Yeah. Too. It, it, especially. Um, yeah, but no, I had a great time. I think it's a uh, very bitterly funny. It has like a lot of just, I don't know. I love ambiguity in a movie, especially ambiguity in a movie about like paranoia and paranoid situations. The relationship between uh, performance and uh, like uh, espionage. Uh, I don't know. It's fun. Like in that sort of like light P 
Pinchon sort of a flair to it that I really enjoyed. Yeah, no, yeah. I think the the Pinchon esque element is absolutely there. That's a, that's a great uh, point because when I mentioned Hal Hartley, I was trying to think of like narratively where I could even like where the writing comes from, and I think Pinchon and even like Delillo or something like yeah. are great literary uh, kind of. Uh, if not influences, then things you could compare it to. Malcolm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I enjoyed this movie too. It it has, you know, the sense of vagueness really just kind of hangs over the movie. And I don't know, like, I, I really like its style. Like, it's really good uh, acting performances too. You know, there's a lot of scenes where, like, characters are kind of just in a room you know especially the the nypd uh, counter-terrorist guy uh, gerard gerard played well by scott shepherd you know i had to get the the actor name because i liked the the performance um and yeah like there's just a lot of scenes like that with between the two of them where the dialogue just feels good and natural but also kind of the stakes that are set up kind of allows it to go you know different places and kind of have a you know, an ambiguity that this movie, you know, kind of runs on. And yeah, no, it's, 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 it's definitely kind of hard to describe, but it, I, you know, that's, it's, it's a good thing in a way. Like I, I, I don't know sometimes with movies like these, like if you don't like them, they become so vague that they become like boring or you kind of like detach yourself from them or something like that. So, like, but I, like, I think this movie, you know, does a good job of, uh, you know, keeping that interest and like i don't know just like thinking of all the stuff with like the nypd character like stuff like that like and just like all the various like tensions he has that he brings to the you know swedish actress character and kind of like i think of like when they go to the party or whatever and he's just like oh yeah pissed off at that one guy or whatever and there's just like there's a bunch of like uh you know, like the movie just kind of focusing on that. And then, you know, that character soon, you know, gets killed, like Eddie was saying. So that stuff never really like comes back, comes back, you know what I mean? So I don't know, just uh, it does a good job in like establishing stakes when the movie itself can kind of feel like vague and not, you know, kind of like kind of feels like low tension, high tension at the same time. It's a good combo. Absolutely, and that that scene where you said he he gets pissed off at a party is so good. I mean, he just he I guess he sees someone else from the force, uh, but someone in uh, a rank that he denigrates to art. Like he he talks about how you know it, it, it's in such disarray the city right now that they're taking on all these deputized guys, and so the it's like a, a deputy uh, anti terrorist guy is at the party, and he just like hates that he's at the same building as this guy right now. <laughs> it's it's so funny how like rage mode he goes about that uh and then the the tension of the other timeline is like more palpable it feels like because i i love the gerard counter-terrorist guy like that's the strongest material of the film but the more grounded one also feels like more immediate realistic danger for the character yeah you know where it's just like a creepy ish dude you don't even think it's creepy at first maybe you're like this is just a 2019 brooklyn guy you know it's not every brooklyn guy looks like that you know uh and then the scene where he just comes into the room and it's like yeah i'd really like to fuck you you know like uh (laughs) just like the most insane shit and definitely more disarming than anything the counter-terrorist guy did even when she wakes up in his apartment and he's like don't worry you haven't been violated (laughs) yeah No, it shows uh, two sides of uh, the the same coin, a term I was looking for earlier. But like, you know, kind of like the like uh, like alpha masculinity and like uh, kind of like soft kind of, you know, disguising as a nice guy style, you know, masculinity. Like, I love that scene you described, Eddie, where because it's, you know, he doesn't outright say it, but he gets to it pretty quick. But he kind of like just like slinks closer and closer to her and that, you know, just comes into her bedroom unannounced and it's like you're safe here like don't worry i know some of the guys seem weird but you know i'm looking out for you and just like somehow just gets closer and closer without you know he's looking very predatory in his you know body language there it's a yeah it's i don't know like the the two timeline stuff 
works really well because yeah they're very like you know dissonant from it from each other the the later chronologically timeline also features a band hanging out at that house and we see them in the very beginning when the title gets dropped uh and the band playing in the very beginning when the title gets dropped feels like quasi diegetic like it's clearly opening credit type music you know uh but it almost feels like is this band gonna be like greek chorus-esque you know but instead it's just kind of the people that occupy that giant house and after the most intense scene of the movie the the murder scene we cut back to this timeline and she's just like in a living room with this band sitting on a couch and one of them plays a new recording of a song and you just have to sit there and watch the band listen to this song and as an audience member you're thinking about the scene you just watched because it's like the most crazy shit you could possibly see in this movie her killing this counter terrorist agent uh and so it's like a great you know uh it's not like a obvious screenwritery dark night of the soul moment but where it's placed in the structure it kind of is where it's the reflective moment where you think about the horrible things the character has been through and done and uh it kind of gears you up for a somewhat uh like i don't even know how to describe it finale <laughs> like <laughs> a very disarming finale uh, that i love but we'll we'll get to that when we get to it because there's so much detail in the meantime like in that second timeline when it first shows her hanging out and getting used to those people uh and she said she goes out to play football with them and she just like tackles the shit out of the dude playing <laughs> touch football and it's just like eight people who look like they're playing football for the first time in their life (laughs) and i thought that was very funny because in some movies you could say that's like bad choreography or direction but i feel like it's pointed to this time where it's like yeah these people are unathletic and they're doing like a kitsch irony thing almost where it's like <laughs> these hipsters are like wouldn't it be funny if we played football like <laughs> playing hipster all, football yeah playing hipster football where it's like four on four but you have an offensive line for some reason <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of hipster irony 101 i mean you have a chloe sevigny uh cameo that is just like the the foundation of the movie as far as audience appeal probably and funding like you could probably get so much out of that just knowing how many uh if the film got proper distribution or whether it did or not is up in the air i guess but like if the right people knew that there was a eight minute chloe sevigny scene uh i feel like a lot more eyes would be on this there is a very funny beat in the kickstarter video where chloe sevigny is and talks about her appearing as like sort of a, a ruder or harsher version of herself <laughs> and you can tell like I, again it's something in there like to entice like a larger audience but that's not to say that like the performance isn't like i don't know i really no, love it's that a section fantastic of the film. scene you know yeah. it starts off as what appears to be a more uh, obvious cameo type thing where she shoes away a fan and is just like telling stories and she then tells uh our main character the great line of uh, i don't know if you're actually recommending me books or just bragging to me that you've read them before <laughs> uh which is a great just universal yeah. line about you know artistic type people um but then she starts weaving this tale about a mysterious audition and very very slowly the elements start coming together with the audio getting dropped out and the quick flashes and then the long uh shots of her walking down the corridor and being confronted by these weird disfigured people uh, or not disfigured but weird masked people yeah. with weird outfits and it's just like a very uh, kind of lynchian moment in this movie that uh, yeah. i really enjoy it just fits with the whole like atmosphere and vibe like building to that point and i mean certainly afterwards and i feel like the finale really echoes that sort of unsettling beat but with all of uh gerard's character and in particular him being interested in sort of like a hipster experimental actress there's just something so funny about like one his performance where i feel like you're not usually getting like uh a counter-terrorist guy being so like uh enthusiastic and playful just like him in the diner just like so de- like playfully eating bacon is so <laughs> funny and just such a, a neat little touch but i think him being fascinated with that world uh, and the actress in general, like you're already 
like inherently suspicious of that because it's just like what is the fa- like is it just like a passing fancy that he describes like is there something larger at play here and i feel like that sort of builds like this initial unease of this relationship where it's just like what is like wh- what is was going to come of this yeah. yeah and that like the close seven part just is more of that just unsettling like atmosphere that you're you're never going to get resolved and that's i don't know part of the fun uh, i yeah. also really love the aspect of gerard's fiance lisette who we never see and uh is almost like a uh, a maris crane type you know yeah. <laughs> only existing uh through stories and stuff but he he introduces the idea of why he would recognize this swedish actress because his he says his fiance is very into the quote-unquote downtown theater uh scene and (laughs) avant-garde art and stuff like that but the more he talks about her uh the more it's almost implied that she does not exist and he's kind of using that as a uh a shield almost socially because you know he the one person that he knows at the party is like oh did he introduce you to the lovely Lisette yet? You know, and it seems like this could be a ongoing thing throughout his life. Just lying about having a fiance for whatever reason, yeah. or she's real and just very strange. And it's like a mythological character, you know? Yeah. You know, the cop wants to be a hipster, you know, people, you know, don't view it, view it this way sometimes, but hipsters are aspirational characters in a way, you know, they kind of lay around and, you know, they don't have jobs. Like, you know, it, I, I think that's just a funny thing that's played on, especially in that diner scene is like his interest in like the, you know, New York scene, like even has that like line. He's like, oh, I think Brooklyn's like a white uh, middle schooler in a run DMC shirt. Like he knows what to say. A toddler to, even. Yeah. Not, yeah. Oh, a toddler. True. Even more pathetic, a fucking toddler. Um, <laughs> a fucking baby. <laughs> See, at I least fuck- a middle schooler knows how to wipe his bum. Yeah, fucking, I hate babies and baby, <laughs> I hate Barney. Um, stuff like that. You know, I like adult shows, all right? That's a classic childhood, you know, accusing someone of liking Barney. But, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Lynch. I mean, I couldn't help think of Inland Empire with this, where we have an actress and kind of like, there is like a timeline like even maybe more of a linear maybe not linear but more of a defined timeline in this one maybe than inland empire but it's kind of like you know we see this uh you know actress you know kind of in different scenarios you know some of them relating to like uh you know the film industry with like chloe sevigny and like you know her talking to a fellow actress and kind of like just the uneasiness and kind of unresolvedness that the movie plays upon you know you think of a lot of art house directors with this movie but yeah i mean lynch and inland empire specifically i feel like uh kind of match the vibe and you know also you know not a direct kind of match but it's like you know 16 millimeter to like mini dv obviously many different formats but going for like a murkier look yeah absolutely um so as it wraps up, we get a crazy uh, scene where she goes back to Gerard's apartment after killing him and a, a realtor <laughs> is there showing it. And that's the most Lynchian scene to me yeah. is the, the realtor showing her the apartment afterward and their weird conflict. And then her, the realtor herself becoming very concerned uh, as someone's going to come see the apartment. And like, I don't know, that just it really reminded me of a lot of uh, like Twin Peaks, The Return or Inland Empire stuff where characters are just very worried. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like there's this beautiful uncertainty there, whether it's just like is she a part of like some covert government agency? Is she just some weird Lynchian strange real estate agent? There's such a fun like tension there. And I mean, throughout like what happens and what unfolds like with uh, Gerard, where it's just like, obviously like it it appears as though he dies, but I I could see a lot of situations play out where maybe that's not the case. Maybe this is something like entirely different. I think that like, uh, I don't know. There's just that level of like paranoid government conspiracy, like also playing with like performance and just like that. A lot of these uh, characters are putting on roles in a certain way that like I, I, I love that realtor scene. 
after the realtor scene, we then flash forward to a few years later, and it starts off very oblique because it's like that's that's her, right? Is it? Uh, you know. And yeah. then we we keep zooming <laughs> back and back and back, and it's like, what is this? Some three D effect? Violence <laughs> <laughs> revealed it's a uh, someone watching her dailies on a projector or watching her finished work on projector, uh, and then. Uh, she ends up on like a, a Skype call with what appears to be her husband and daughter uh, of a couple years. And if it's some years later, it would go to show that it would just be like, you know, this is her entire new life after this situation. And, you know, acting worked out for her and she found a family. But she then tells a story to her daughter to put her to sleep. And it is very disturbing. And it's, you know, essentially uh, the metaphor um, is the story we just saw. But what she tells the daughter is about someone leading a boy, leading a pig into the woods and it just getting darker and darker and darker. And then she doesn't know how to finish the story. And the kid is asleep, but the husband is so concerned. (laughs) Like, what is going on with you? Um, And I I just love that uh, ending. Like, I... I don't know, the, the storybook for a kid thing almost seems too cute to me in concept, but the execution is fucking killer. I loved it as an ending. I feel like it being through Skype kind of adds something to it, too, you know what I mean? Like, just has all the, the right details, and, you know, it fe- you know it feels in concert with kind of just the the mood and attitude of, of the rest of the movie. Yeah. JT, any final thoughts on this one and a rating as we wrap it up on... Slow machine. I wanted to call it the soft machine. <laughs> yeah, I that's always a, wanted to call it's it a, that it's too. It's a pro- progressive rock band. Um, I'm gonna go three and a half bullets on this one. I think it's pretty good. Pretty much all stuff we have said before. Where any uh, quibbles, flaws with it, or just doesn't quite get to the wow level. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I this is a close like three and a half, four stars for me. I'm really on the fence about it, but. I don't know, especially this feels like a very stupid kind of arbitrary thing, but especially with like a first uh, not because I know I think in the Kickstarter they also said this is based on uh, like sort of extending a short film out into a larger idea. Um, So it's not like a first, but like debut debut feature. Yeah, Um, that that still counts as a debut. I I, I don't think shorts. I don't think shorts count if retroactively they're revealed to be part of a feature. Yeah, exactly. So it does. It's like a debut feature, and so I feel like with that, I always want to go softer on it because there's there's so much room to grow i (laughs) really like this now but like how will like i don't know i would like to see more from these filmmakers like this Mm -hmm. is just such a fun milieu that i'm inherently interested in it looks great um it's just has like again i think the humor comes across in a way that's just like very like slight at points um, yeah, and they're just the stylistic flourishes of like how it's cut together and goes back and forth between the two timelines. There's a lot of stuff stuff to really love here. I don't really think I have any like major like issues with it, other than that I think there's room to grow. And I mean, m- hey, maybe I watch it, rewatch it a little bit later. I go whole hog four bullets. Wow. There's room for me to grow too. <laughs> Malcolm, what about you? I like it, JT, of like, you know, this is their first film. I want to, like, encourage them. I don't want to, you know, give them a rating that's going to make them rethink the career path, you know? Well, I I don't think that, I don't think that I, I, it's not I'm influencing them as a film critic. Yeah. Well, no, not, well, yeah, but it's like just in concept, like, you know, like. uh, It it is healthy encouragement. I want them to grow. Kind of like, yeah, it's like butterfly effect, effect style, you know, like you give it a two and a half and then you know somehow through the universe they lose faith but um (laughs) but no i'm gonna give it three bullets i I enjoyed it and like i don't have any major qualms it's just you know it could kind of just uh in its vagueness i kind of get lost in it and like you know it loses my attention slightly at points but like like you know considering like the budget and like uh you know it being a, a first time feature just like the scope is so wide and it has like a real like uh like defined sense of humor like it's a very cynical movie and a lot of the movies through like a uh like somewhat cynical lens i would say and and i think it's enjoyable and 
and it feels you know unique it feels like a unique uh style unto itself you know combining a lot of other things so i yeah i i, I would definitely i want to see more you know i'm like jt i want to encourage um i am actually going to go all the way up to four bullets on this Ooh, one i think yeah. this is pretty fantastic like i was i was really blown away by this one this is like uh one of the better debuts not just of the 2010s but it's like you think about all time how many debut four-star films are there that's true all time maybe Damn, 40 time. <laughs> well no think about it all time yeah. debut films how many four plus stars do you even have like 30 or 40 right i don't know i, I mean there's yeah, like I maybe know. five above four stars it's like fucking citizen kane you know sometimes sometimes filmmakers like not almost like non-auteurs sometimes like their yeah, best they'll films, spill like the their first beans one. right yeah, away spill yeah, the but beans i would argue that none of those are masterpieces none of those yeah. are over four stars Four I'd have to check They're, my records. They might, I don't want to cap wanna, yeah. at four stars, but uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I also I want to I want to check the lists. Maybe we can open the phone lines on that best debuts yeah. because yeah, I think this is this is a very strong one. I think when I think about the best debuts of the 2010s, I think about B Gone's uh, Kylie Blues, and I also think about this movie. Uh, I think this is a very funny movie with a well. De- a uh, well-defined sense of place in terms of artistry and location and it's aesthetic is well de- designed yeah it's aesthetic is well-defined and very well designed uh, i love the low budget set decoration i think as someone who's done a bit of that on films it's something to look toward uh, as inspiration and i think this whole thing is something to look to for inspiration like, this is between the two episodes that we did this week, reading Hawks on Hawks and like reading just the way he conceives of stories like nothing and just like his kind of can do attitude about filmmaking and then seeing a micro budget feature like this be <coughs> so artistically fulfilling. It's like you just got to get out there and do it. Like I, I you know, I, I, it makes me uh, want to join the use it or lose it mindset train. <laughs> and so I think being inspirational is the greatest thing art can do. Uh, I'm not going to blow my load here and raise my rating or anything, but like strong four bullets love this thing. And uh, thank you to Nick Newman for bringing it on the pod. I mean, top top ten all time. That's I'm looking at some I debut films. Right? Oh, I said top forty. I said top forty okay, all okay. time. Come on. Okay. Come top on. 40. I thought when I say here top, I think top 10, you know, well, in my defense. <laughs> when I, <laughs> when I hear top, I think top 10. When I hear top, I, you know, uh, yeah, oh. I get hard. <laughs> hey, wait a second. <laughs> this isn't that kind of program. We don't talk oh, about that kind of thing here. Porn, we talk about porn. movies. An audio radio play style pornography. That's not what this, uh, this podcast is no no it is not <laughs> do they have those <laughs> audio <laughs> porn but like in just, the style of like a podcast conversational well, i w- i wouldn't know anything about that they definitely <laughs> have a lot of podcasts about porn yeah i know there's like a the rialto report like will sloan always uh, promos that one like you can <laughs> learn a lot about the history <laughs> of porno from that one a lot of like, you know, you get John Holmes interview tapes from the 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're just talking about, you know, whoever today's bright young starlets are <laughs> chopping it up on the pod. Um, yeah. I mean, fucking uh, Adam 22. Adam 22. Before, I realized. Before he, yeah. started, before he started the thing where he actually was doing a podcast while having sex with his wife and another person. I believe when he came up, that was his whole thing was just like having porn stars on his podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean Stern. Oh yeah, yeah. Stern's been having strippers and strippers and porn stars on this pod for fucking decades. Yeah, we've talked. Did you just fart? (laughs) It smells like fucking ass cheeks in here, (laughs) dude. Oh god, it smells awful in here.
So yeah, you know, I'm hoping for sunshine over there. I hope the groundhog is right. You know. Yeah. I want to go to Groundhog Day. I think Nico and I were talking about doing that next year, <laughs> going all out. Getting is that one of local? Is that in Philly? Hats. It's uh, not in Philly, but it's yeah. like Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know. There, I forget. There are like a few thousand people that go to it every year to just like watch, like I don't know, dudes play pretend and whisper to a pig. <laughs> <laughs> that is a crazy fucking. That's a whole serum. Yeah, you should check that out. Go, go to Puxtwani, yeah. or however you say it. Puxatani. <laughs> Puxatani. It's, it's, it's an too on, much. Yeah, on the ground report. <laughs> Expose the real, the real, what's really going on behind Groundhog Day. They're fucking hey, Groundhog Day. That's a movie. True. But it's it's like a <laughs> exposing the like a journalist spotlight style movie they're actually this is a lie the groundhog day is actually fake he's not deciding it they're actually digging another hole and putting a lighter up against the groundhog's bum so that he you know comes out you know so it's a big controversy are are we live right now we are technically live but like um actually this is this is pretty crazy i i you know i've been looking to just get a little little side job recently Mm-hmm. And I, I saw this, you know, I've been applying pretty indiscriminately. So, like, I, I applied on Indeed to this cashier thing, set up a phone interview. And, you know, after, like, I clicked applied, I realized, oh, this is for, like, a high school. Uh, like, that's kind of, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I no, don't want to yeah, be working in high don't school. Know. What's well, it, what cashier at a high school? What the fuck kind of... Like position well, is that? It's kind of misleading, or I guess maybe if if you know, you know. Basically, I was um, I was interviewing to be like a cafeteria worker, to you know, not to be derogatory, to be Are a lunch you just lady. Putting the Zoom link that people can just hop, just join yeah. the. Well, Zoom that's no, because they have them, they yeah. have the meeting. They okay, yeah. they, they have the yeah. meeting link, but I have the waiting room. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are sitting in the waiting room, as uh, the band Fugazi once said, or they would be sitting yes. in the right ra- the, the 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 Fugazi room, as the band Waiting once said. <laughs> what? Uh, sorry, you're Fugazi. Fugazi. It's all a Fugazi. It's all a Fugazi. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and uh, Wolf of Wall Street. He's talking to him, and he's like, you know, you want to make it in this business, you got to listen to post hardcore. You know. You, can, <laughs> you gotta listen you're to only the listening bands. What yeah. Fugazi, Fugazi, thirteen songs? Only thirteen songs? You gotta listen to some Husker Du. Pump those numbers up. They got like forty songs on that one album. Minutemen? Come on now. There's a lot of legs on this bit. Yeah, <laughs> of course. There is a lot of legs on this bit, but it can only run us so far. If you're watching us live, we are of course running extended clip live wclp you can go ahead and join the zoom if you want to call in that is going to be like uh on the twitter page i know it's a little convoluted but you know if people figure it out they figure it out if they don't figure it out they're kind of stupid but like that's fine because the three of us are here and we talk like we always do and we're just chatting having a ball what is this cashier high school job i I lost it was going to be a lunch lady oh Oh, shit And they basically denied me because they're like, I don't think you'd like to be a lunch lady. Like the guy over the really? phone, like the guys are like, uh-huh. not even that. Cause he described the hours to me. He was like seven 30 to like two. I'm like, that's, I kind of like those hours. You know what I mean? Like I was kind of like, and, but I don't know the guy over the phone. I, and I was enthusiastic. Like I wasn't like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Like I tried to show interest over the phone, but, uh, I could totally see you as the lunch lady. You and the hairnet. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I don't know. The the interviewers seem to not have faith that I, uh, would enjoy it, which is kind of a weird suspicious of a 20 something lunch lady too. I mean, that's like, that's fair. That's what I realized too. And to be honest, I, I did not want that job because that does, (laughs) I don't know, like it's just dealing directly with high schoolers seems pretty tough. Like that seems pretty like I'd be in the back probably just cooking up some burgers, but I don't know. It's just, it seems like I, I don't have the emotional temperament. It's like, you know, you, you work at a store and some teens come in, but then some adults come in, you know, it's like normal dealing directly teens only. 
I don't know. That that seems tough. It seems like just it'd be hard serving to the slop to a bunch of teens every day. That <laughs> exactly. sounds really shitty. To be for honest. some reason, in my mind, when I think of a lunch lady, they're always dressed in like scrubs. Yeah. Like, why yeah. did they have scrubs on? Well, because like, the it, food sent so many people to the hospital. <laughs> it just like kind of linked up with the nurses, and they were like, "This is how we do it. We gotta all wear the same thing, you know, same uniform." All yeah. of us mm -hmm. have to be able to extract a sloppy Joe from a tenth grader's stomach, you know. <laughs> Did you yeah. guys see Sloppy Joe is the go-to cafeteria food? Did you ever actually have Sloppy Joes at school? I did. Uh, I think we did. I never. Yeah. I was always a packer. I uh, yeah. I'll tell you what kind of actor you were, uh, buddy. <laughs> shut up. Uh, <laughs> enough out of you, um, man. We're just like, fuck yeah. I don't actually think you worked at the Hershey's factory. You know, Pennsylvania Hershey's. Um, I did visit. They have a chocolate world tour. You can go on. It's nice. Uh, I bet you went on that. <laughs> no, I realized Was doubling down. That's, but hey, it's a nice tour. I just want to recommend it. It's was it like Willy Wonka? Like where you, everything was chocolate and you could break off like a piece of the pole and eat it? Um, Not quite. But if okay. you go to Hershey, Pennsylvania, it does smell like just driving in that town. It smells like chocolate, which is pretty cool. Um, but a, like it's there's a part of there because there's an amusement park there. Um, And then like separate from the amusement park, like I think. I don't know if it's a free ride, but you get this little chocolate world tour where you ride into big Hershey's kiss and then they <laughs> like show you like uh, like the islands where they grow the cocoa and then you like see the bit like the chocolate making thing. I think you get a free chocolate at the end. So this is my favorite ride. That's that, like that is like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like a positive affirmation for kids who were. Uh, traumatized by uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, no, it is like Hershey, Pennsylvania is like the is the positive Willy Wonka. Well, yeah. that's the thing. Willy Wonka, like that takes place in wee Britain, right? And yeah, like that's course. the difference is like in Britain, if you eat too much chocolate, you're sent down the river. And in America, you're given a promotion. Exactly. And a, house yeah. and a TV show. There's none of that British style nonsense there. Yeah. No, in yeah. America, you work hard, you eat a lot of chocolate and you win. It's for it's for all the Augustus Gloops of the world like me, to, you know, to feel safe, you know. Um, even though I am, I am, I did play Wonka, so maybe I'm more Wonka-ish, you know. We've talked about oh, this. You as yeah. Wonka in a stage production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is one of the great images. Was it a musical production? Of no, no. no. Okay. So you were just we playing it straight. It. You just had to do like banter and stuff were you the doing thing is, a gene wilder like kind of impersonation or did you not i mean i imagine you yeah. had seen the movie totally not no, that I'd you seen... knew who gene wilder was <laughs> it's like i, I kind of want to do it as richard pryor <laughs> i mean to be honest i was i was like 10 or 11 so i, I was I at least i think i knew who gene wilder was like um because honestly i remember like kind of like being in the movies like before I got into movies, like I just wanted to watch comedy movies. So like Gene Wilder was in a ton of them. So I wanted to watch those, but I, I feel like I was just more focused on memorizing the lines. I don't think I, I don't think I ever got to, you know, uh, the spot where I was, you know, I, I was playing it whimsical for sure. Probably at a young age, I probably was You're going just more too depth. focused on the learning the lines to get into character work. That's what they I mean, actors don't talk about that. How hard it is to learn the yeah. lines. I mean, I, I memorized them so well that when other kids would not memorize their lines, I would, I would kind of like cue them in. Like, I'd be like chocolate bar, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> bar. See, the thing is, there's, <laughs> certain, <laughs> there's certain actors who are very personality based and they've given quotes that are like, you know, acting isn't hard. You just hit your marks and you say your lines and you just show up and do your job and like the actors who say that are people like John Wayne and Bruce Willis and guys who are just like the most magnetic fucking people in their prime, at least that the screen ever saw. And so they can just show up and hit their marks and deliver lines and it's fucking sick. Um, but like seeing enough school plays uh, growing I, up, I realized you need to have a little acting uh, too. I think Malcolm has a magnetic presence. I, I think you'd be a great on screen. Like we need to put yeah. you in something. Yeah. Have you yeah, been, have you dabbled? Have you acted outside? Of, uh, outside of this one instance, 
<laughs> I mean, a couple student films, but not nothing ever, you know, not like not substantive roles. I mean, I'd, I'd say if someone wants to give me a role, I'll, I'll take it for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for hire, but, uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, just still just pounding your feet on the ground looking for work. You know what? I, I, I've been thinking I, I might want to sign up for central casting. I kind of want to get into the background acting game. Oh, that, that sounds so sweet. Yeah. Very lucrative career. Yeah. And I've seen these people on set. They're chilling the hardest out of anyone. You know what I mean? It's just bring a book, you know, maybe a folding chair or something like that, depending on where they, they'll probably provide a chair if it's anything good. And, uh, yeah, you just, you just got to walk around, you know what I mean? You know, you got to have like, I think you got to have like a suit or something like that. So, you know, uh, I'll get mine, uh, ironed, but yeah, you have to have like oh, doctor's I been uniforms a background and actor shit. in LA. I didn't realize that's why they didn't take me is because I didn't have a suit. Yeah, I kept, I kept walking up to the studios, knocking on the doors being like, just put me in the background. Can you please? And they're like, this guy thinks he's dressed for a job that he is not dressed for. <laughs> the thing is, as an extra, you got to dress as an everyman. What are you, are you uh, an extra in Mad Men or something? Well, like if it's like a, an office scenario or something like that, like, uh, I don't know. They don't, it's unfortunate. You know, a lot of TV shows, they're about like peoples and offices, not casual guys like us, you know? Oh, well, I mean? that's so because like, of capitalism. Actually, That's capital. So, yeah, yeah. That's fucking capitalism, man. Fucking. I, I've worked in TV quite a bit and extras suck, dude. Like they are, yeah. they are really trying to exploit the, the, the goods as much as they can, like all the benefits and are, you know, stealing the, like, cause that's the thing I I've talked to a lot of caterers and stuff like that. Who are like, yeah, we do like separate meals for the extras. You know, they get the, <laughs> get the prepackaged sandwiches and stuff. Wow. The crew and cast get the hot food, you know, and uh, I feel like they're really kind of ghettoized on set in a way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of am here to reinforce that they are kind of lower <laughs> than uh, dirt. Stand-ins is kind of like a high-level oh. prestige extra. You know, you've a done a little stand-in stand for That was yeah. fun. I was yeah. uh, I played, or I mean, I stood in for an actor playing Wendy McClendon Covey's like nephew or son, nice. who's a tall kid. <laughs> I got to stand. I got to stand next to Wendy McClendon Covey for all of uh, maybe like two or three days. It was a very tense like. I want to check out this like movie at some point because it's some like bullshit indie production. It was like one of the first things I did when I had moved to LA because I was just looking for work. And then a friend uh, was doing something on that set and was able to get me in. But like it was a uh, first time like fiction film of like this document documentary director and she and the ad like because she was like going like way over like time they were like butting heads like the most i think i've ever seen on a set it was Damn. crazy but that was not the goldbergs it was the it the, was in, not the goldbergs i was no. making sure it was the same lady because i have uh, a middle-aged white lady blindness i guess you could say um it is her i've also worked with her i worked on the goldbergs a few times she's was, a nice lady yeah, she was nice nice lady I used to work right next to the Goldberg set or no, not the goal. I was confused. The Goldbergs with the other, there's another show where there's like a, just a, a name of a family. Like, uh, there are a lot of know. those. Yeah. Seinfeld? Uh, Seinfeld. I think you're thinking of Seinfeld. <laughs> is that, is that Frazier? The, no, well, no, that's. Oh, first oh yes, of course. Of course. You know, when it's I first TV started currently. watching Frazier, I thought it was his last name. Okay. And I, so I was like, Oh, so his brother's name is Niles Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name <laughs> and then they just call him dr frazier you know that was it took me about five minutes of watching <laughs> to realize that wasn't the case but you know uh you get where you get there when you get there right mm -hmm. so on this extended clip live we wanted to talk about hollywood's favorite night the Oscars, they're coming soon, everybody. Um, I I wanted to talk about it because I was thinking about gambling like I always do because I'm a full degenerate. I and, roller. Yeah, I, I was really like put off by how bad the odds were, like there was no money to be made. But I've seen some trends uh, slow, okay. slowly. Okay. The line on Oppenheimer is moving on Best Picture. It was at uh, like fucking 
11 to 1. It was at, or sorry, 1 to 11. It was at negative 1100 for a while. So there was just no money to be made whatsoever. Now it is at 1 to 7, minus 700. Now, does that mean that there's a bigger chance of other stuff making a late surge? I don't know. I don't know. What's number? What's the what? Has it's like uh, the, uh, the it's it's Oppenheimer uh, okay. minus seven hundred, okay. and then like plus twelve hundred. Poor things, Barbie holdovers. Those are like all at twelve to fourteen hundred. So Damn. I don't know. Like if you're taking that as an indication, maybe you get a little hopeful that uh, the holdovers might win and uh, people make some money off of it. That would be nice. <laughs> Honestly, if, if I were to take zone of interest odds are way out there they don't are not, don't 40 to 1 40 to 1 on zone uh 100 to 1 on maestro which is hilarious <laughs> because it's the oscar movie you know yeah. that's that's one thing i wanted to talk about with maestro mm-hmm. i've seen a common line uh about this movie that he's given it is all trying to make an oscar movie and it's just like a naked thing like that and because of that he deserves something because of that. It's actually good. And he just deserves his award, his statue and Some backwards beca- logic. Yeah. I think it shouldn't work like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just trying to make an Oscar a movie clearly making Oscar bait shouldn't get you an award. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I watched Maestro. It was fucking horrible. Like, I don't, it's so bad. How did the same guy who made that stars born remake make Maestro? Maybe because he used to be under the tutelage of Clint Eastwood and uh, was even taking over a project that Clint Eastwood abandoned with that first movie. Now, maybe he's thinking he's a little too David O. Russell with it. That was my (laughs) initial interpretation. His other muse uh, or reverse muse, I guess. He claimed Cassavetes as the influence for this, oh, I think, fuck right? You. Or something. Fuck off. I used to be so in the bag on Bradley Cooper, but like if he said Cassavetes was the reason for the and everything he says in the press runs for this is like so absurd. And I get that everyone has to say so much that you're just gonna run out of shit to say. Like there was that article, like, oh, Christopher Nolan circling making a horror movie it's like no he's been doing press for oppenheimer for eight months and they're <laughs> running out of shit to publish <laughs> i mean i like nolan nolan doesn't i don't see nolan making a horror movie no, I, just I will bet speaking of odds i'll give you fucking <laughs> uh, i'll give you 85 to 1 on that if anyone wants to place a bet you know <laughs> yeah just doesn't seem like his, his temperament something he would do exactly um, there's some people uh, asking asking if they can ask questions in here. I didn't realize that the comments were even going. You can ask oh, questions. I, I, I'm always open to questions, whether it's on here or on DM or anything like that. But hopefully in this case, it's here in the comments section or anything like that. I got to say, Zone of Interest maybe the biggest buzzkill movie to be at the Oscars in a very long time. <laughs> That's why it's not going to win anything. Like, you know, and even if it's like, it's just not something, you know, it's not ceremonial, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like the odds you listed, like, honestly, I feel like if you're going to take a long shot as much as we want the holdovers to win, you know, I could eat my words on this, but it's like, you feel like you place, I feel like a Barbie best picture bet with those odds. It's like, yeah. kind of like, Seems like something the Academy might do, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once, you know, just won a bunch of awards and, you know, different movies, but you could see, you know, the zaniness, maybe they want to award a zany movie, but honestly, it does kind of feel like Nolan's year. I could see Oppenheimer kind of winning all of its big awards, like best director, best picture, uh, yeah you know supporting actor actor like i could see it doing something like that now you could parlay these maybe you could get some good money on on maybe an oppenheimer parlay we've talked semi-series about the outcome of oscars for about four minutes now which is probably too many so let's stop that now how can the oscars be good how can that possibly be a thing like that's what i want to know how is there any way conceivable and maybe it's not even the oscars maybe it's another show or something like that but like is there any way we could actually have some sort of award ceremony that's good and like there's there's like the the film critic circles have those Uh awards you know and those are 
film critics. If Jimmy Kimmel has to still host, he has to bring out the juggies from the man show. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I think that's a start. I think bring it, br bring it uh full circle with the man show. Adam Carolla. Okay. Yes. Adam awesome. Carolla hosting. Yeah. They should just go full man show. That's yeah. honestly, that's, well, I can't I mean, believe got to the answer for that I can't so believe quickly. we had the opportunity where like seth mcfarland hosted the oscars that year like mm -hmm. do you remember that that's yeah. one of the greatest things in history to consider that like seth mcfarland hosted the oscars and did family guy voices at the oscars i mean <laughs> i think the only way you can make it better as a tv product not as a product of like uh something to actually think about greatness in cinema year by year because that's just not going to happen with a, mm -hmm. a, t a a tv show where you have that big of production value right um yeah, but if you want to make it a good tv product you got to bring back goofy characters gags yeah. and stunts man you got to go crazy like it's gotten so self-serious like and you're not going to be able to give them uh, like an award for best original screenplay to past lives and then do a goofy gag or a stunt, you know? So it's like in a way, maybe All the awards have to be gags. <laughs> now that, that's a great train to go, a, a great path to go down. I was just thinking like, I might just give in to the worst people out there and say, they should just give you awards for more popular movies and then just have fun. Just like, who needs to give an award to to uh, whatever wins an award every year? You know, like, yeah, I, I feel like those are designated as something that's so fake outside of actual critical consensus outside of the peer view of people who actually like movies, whether it's someone who just goes to the movie every week uh, blindly or weirdo cinephiles like ourselves. Uh, and I just think there's no way you're going to appease to all those people. Why not just make like a fun TV product? We have the technology now. Bring back Seth MacFarlane. Have him host in character as do you get a Stewie? You get a Stewie Brian like co-hosting kind of a thing. Like that's I don't know. I think yeah. all the pieces are there. That's fun. Maybe yeah, not what, like younger <laughs> people want to see. Maybe I mean, but Zoomers love Family Guy. They, there's all they're always watching it while playing Subway Surfer. That's true. You know what? I think that's how you get a younger generation into film. It's just like have Seth MacFarlane do the Oscars every year or like have like a government mandated family guy movie special every like year. Like a picture in picture family guy clips yeah, going like, at the bottom. Well, like if you well, like if you do the, the not the Tim and Eric, but the on cinema Oscar special every year, but like through family guy. Okay. Yeah. Then you at least have people paying attention. So I like instead that. of the Oscars, it's a really long episode of Family <laughs> Guy where they give out awards. And I don't know how it happens. I don't know how the animation versus uh, live kind of thing works. Cutaways. But, uh, you know, Family okay, Guy, cutaways. 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 Yeah, like, cutaways. That reminds me of the time uh, Emma Stone won yeah. the 2024 Academy Award. <laughs> yeah. Congrats, yeah. Emma. Um, <laughs> we did. I like we, the picture in picture idea, too. Like the. Like when they do the in memoriam clips, there's just a random <laughs> clip of like Quagmire, and then it goes back to the in memoriam. Then there's like a little Stewie clip, and they're not dead, but it's just like <laughs> to keep the interest. You know, you yeah, keep, exactly. Oh, I thought you meant like those two reacting to dead people, like Quagmire oh, seeing an well. old Hollywood woman who recently died, and you know, a picture of her as a young lady, and you know, making yeah, a remark. Uh, yeah, Dana in the comments here says uh, that in in the recent TED series, he did watch the 400 blows in an episode. So I think. Seth is on our wavelength more than he's with the Oscars because like Truffaut was nominated for best director at one point, but like 2024 Oscars is not going to shine any light on Francois Truffaut. You know who is Seth Farland? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think the answer is to the question of uh, can you make the Oscars good is no, you should watch Family Guy instead. Yeah. And or I think that's fine. You mentioning Truffaut gave me an idea. Why don't we we really let time like like why don't we award uh, best picture to a movie fifty years ago? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I like that. Really, yeah, like, no, that's like, great. Give awards to old movies. You know what I mean? Because like a big criticism of the Academy is like 
you know, it's like they don't like not are only are the movies they pick for best picture a lot of the time not good, but they're not like relevant. They don't stand the test of time. You know what I mean? They don't they're not beloved throughout the years like English patient like nobody's watching that fucking shit like it's yeah. it's over. It's over for the English patient. But, but um, Schindler's List, people are Schindler's running that list. back every day. Exactly. I mean, you so know, the 2024 the Oscar for Best Picture should go to Schindler's List, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking mean, older. I'm talking. I'm talking older. You know what I but mean? That but that one's yeah. black and white. That's like from like the True. 50s. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how to feasibly like accomplish this. And I mean, I have the most. Like you definitely get views. You definitely get people watching yeah. the Oscars. But the most annoying way to do it possible is people it's like kind of like a kid's choice award scenario where you can vote online but you vote online through letterboxd oh no <laughs> uh, that would literally be the end of me i would yeah. yeah no i'm just i'm saying to try and spice it up and do you know why it would be the end of there. me because i would be so mad that i didn't get a special like power voter badge <laughs> 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 yeah true it should the high it should be a certain follower amount you know that that gets to decide you know the, yeah, yeah the, the higher the critical cr class that we're a part of <laughs> i mean they did they did kind of do that with like the zach Sn the oscar zach snyder got the fucking <laughs> oh yeah people's, true, yeah the people's choice award oscars pretty hilarious i they should just have more of those they should have those for each category like this is what the academy decides and this is what the people like a people academy hybrid you know kind of like the oh, people's academy thinking? yeah the people's academy i the totally people. forgot about the what was it called like the oscar popcorn moment of the year or something like that and it went to the flash in Zack snyder's justice league yeah so it went to a bad person too within well, i mean well Zack they're snyder's... forgiven now why yeah i don't know Wait, I think did they literally time, time time? Okay. No, I wasn't sure if something happened. I just remember there was like some bad stuff going on. But I don't know. Time has it's, 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 time heals all wounds. Yeah, it seemed like he was caught up in a scenario rather than being a bad person, you know? All right. No, no. <laughs> no. I I'll always use that excuse if I like the person. <laughs> yeah. True, but if I dislike him, I I I'm wagging my finger, man. We you know, because we can't have too many of these morally questionable people, but we can have some. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is going to do it on our mini Oscar preview segment for episode 281. If you were watching this live, thank you very much. If you are listening as a podcast, uh, this was, of course, on the back end of episode 281, which was on Slow Machine by Paul Felton and Joe DiNardo. This episode was executive produced by Nick Newman. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. We're uh, just trying something different here with a little hybrid in podcast live segment. Uh, I don't know. Just just trying new stuff. Who knows? Yeah. You guys like you guys like it? I like going live. That's fun. Yeah. We could do more of that live. By the way, it was called the Oscar Cheers moment. Thank you, Dana, for letting us Oscar know. Cheers. The Oscar Cheers moment is yeah. probably the worst name you could possibly call it because <laughs> it's like an attempted pun at saying Oscar, the statue himself, is cheering, but it's also the Oscars. It makes cheer it moment. seem like it's the moment in a movie that had the most of the Cheers cast in it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, an award that's the, good, the that's Avengers hard. Assemble moment. Yeah. It's like Ted Danson and John Ratzenberger coming out of the the little holes. Each and each year, it's harder to give this award. It's a much more complex award. Or it's just everyone giving a big cheers. You know, yeah. like a toast to. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what they mean. It's that moment in a movie that makes you go cheers. Let's celebrate. <laughs> that's what they mean by the award. All right, everybody. Thank you and goodbye. Nice. Oh, Ryan Swin is in here. <laughs> Let's up, just Ryan? say hi to him. Yeah. <laughs> hey Ryan. Hey Ryan. Hey, you you, you kind of missed the uh the show. We ended it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs>